Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About Elderly Care. Today I'm speaking with Carol Griffiths and Jackie Perkins, two daughters whose mum was nearing end of life in a care home during COVID. Carol pleaded to be with her mother and her last few moments, but this was denied by the care provider. I will be discussing with Carol and Jackie the emotional trauma this has had on their whole family and also impeded their grieving process. So welcome, Carol and Jackie. Hi, Jackie, and hi, Carol. Welcome to Care Campaign for the Vulnerable. Let's talk about elderly care. Hi, Hi, Jane. First of all, Carol, I'll start with you. I got involved with your case with Care Campaign for the Vulnerable. And I was struck by how you first said that your late mother was actually faring, she was doing very poorly in her care home. And the circumstances surrounding the fact that you were denied visitation during her end of life. How did that first of all come about? Well, it was a fairly long protracted story, really, Jane, but so I'll try and keep it succinct. Mum was in the care home with mild dementia, and really it was due to her lack of mobility, where my father wasn't able to manage the risk of her having repeated falls. So she'd been in the care home since September 2018. My father had visited her every day and was very much part of her care. Very, very sadly, my father was diagnosed with cancer about this time last year and sadly passed away on the 12th of March. Now, obviously, straight after the 12th of March, we had lockdown. And so my father's funeral was in the lockdown process, in the lockdown period. And my mother was deemed as being exceptional by the care home in that circumstance and was allowed to go to his funeral. But because of the COVID risk and and we were exceptionally worried about her being transported to the the cemetery, we decided Mm -hmm. she'd be better off not going. So over the period since my father's death, my mother had been bereaved and she, over a very, very short period of time, she she was clearly not eating and more recently not, not drinking either. So she was just very, very rapidly losing weight. We were, obviously because of COVID, not able to visit. Sorry, Carol, did the manager or any member of staff, did they contact you about this decline? They didn't contact us straight away about the decline, no. Not until quite some time afterwards. I believe the first date, my sister might be able to confirm it, but 16th of June was the first time that anyone proactively contacted us about Mm. my mother. She sustained a bruise, actually, on her right arm. And it was also fed back that she was rapidly losing weight and she was having difficulty eating and was being given supplements was what we were told. Mm-hmm. So from about the 16th of June and and during that time, the care home eventually managed to get a Skype system in place so we could see her. Can I ask, Carol, did you have to sort of make that request 
to the home or was it an automatic, you know, we're going to get a way that you can communicate with your loved one? Was it something you raised or was it something that the care home raised? Well, it was something that we raised several times actually straight away during lockdown to say, well, could they get a computer screen in a room so that loved ones could access their relatives Mm. and see them and speak to them? It wasn't actually implemented for a long, long time. And all they had was just one iPad for the whole care home, basically, that we had to share. But at least we were able to book in these Skype sessions and see my mother. And, you know, as that regularly took place, it was very evident, you know, between my sister and I, that mum was rapidly losing weight, just becoming very frail. Right. And when... Jackie, can I ask you, when you used to see your mother on Skype or FaceTime, what were your concerns thereof when you used to see her? What was your initial reaction? Well, she was getting very, very thin. And we were asking these questions as well when we were having you know, telephone conversations sometimes to the carer's house, mum, mm-hmm. etc. And it was quite evident that she was losing weight and we, we were very worried about that. Did they say why she was losing weight, Jackie? Not clearly, no. No, they referred to the fact that she was having a little bit of difficulty eating and, you know, at mealtime, sometimes she was eating and other times not. But I think this is part of what we were trying to get some really clear information Mm. about in terms of her eating habits and, you know, some more detail really on how she was actually doing and Mm. what she was eating on a day-to-day basis etc. So before lockdown Jackie, before Covid, you were obviously going in with Carol. Was your mother eating okay? Her normal routine seemed to be fairly maintained at that time. Also bear in mind that because of dad's cancer between us, Carol and I were going between mum at Fairlawn and the hospice and the hospitals when dad was in his hospital visits. So we were going to and fro as much as we could, given that we don't live locally as well. And, you know, it's a, an hour and a half's journey to get yeah. there. But yes, she seemed to be she seemed to be OK. She seemed to be doing activities before lockdown. I went with her and she was painting some butterflies in one of the activity mm-hmm. rooms there. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we made one for dad and we took it into the hospital for him, etc. So it was really since lockdown mm-hmm. that we were acutely aware mm. of mum. And also she was grieving, you know, she was it's grieving. It's really important, isn't yeah. it? That Yeah, that she'd lost her husband. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, without having contact with us, also because Dad had been present up until his illness, you know, in there, mm. in and out every day, they were so incredibly close and she was very, very reliant on him being around and him helping. He helped a lot in that home. He was, yeah, you know, part of the fabric of it, going in there every day. He helped other residents and he was really, really proactive and helpful at that time. And that, that, all of a that, sudden, mum mm. had that taken away from her. Exactly. I mean, it must have been an absolute awful time for her. And, you know, not having her 
sort of a crutch there, you know, someone that has been always there with her. And obviously as a family as well, you both and Carol. So Carol, what happened then during the time that you were sort of told that your mother was having a decline Mm -hmm. in health? And at what stage did you think really worried about this? I think we'd been very worried about mum pretty much since dad's passing. And we tried to point out to particularly via the management of the care home that we wanted her to be monitored and and checked that she was okay. So I think we were concerned right from the get-go, to be honest. But I think that the significant health decline concerns happened probably from mid-June when my sister received the call from one of the carers. Can I ask what was said? I mean, don't obviously identify, but no, no. what was said in that call? It was quite alarming, actually. The key reason for the call was that mum has sustained quite a large bruise on her upper arm and there was no explanation for where she got it from. They didn't know. They'd found it um, in the morning. And that's all the information about, you know, the context of that bruise. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also discussed with me mum's weight loss, mum's difficulty in eating mm-hmm. and mentioned the term supplements. But uh, I mean, also need to bear in mind the context of when she called, she was doing some rounds, seeing some other, other residents as well. Mm-hmm. She sounded quite rushed when she was talking to us. She was doing her best to relay the information but it was coming out in kind of, you know, snippets, mm. if you like, to be fair. So I just said, OK, I've got the top line of what's happening. It, you know, we're very, very concerned. Mm. We would like you to ask the management, please, as soon as possible, to put an email to myself and my sister and just, you know, tell us the current state of play with mum's health with her medication and all of these concerns that you've raised, just as we can see it clearly, because we want to know some detail of what's happening and we'd like to see the care plan as well. Right. And what happened after that then? Did you get a reply back? No. 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 And I know that this was definitely, you know, the verbal request was relayed to management. Mm. We then made some phone calls again to kind of, you know, just try and open the conversation again. Yeah. And then it got to the stage where Carol sent an email on the 1st of July, I think, if I'm right there, Carol. Basically, to again, reiterate our concerns and to say, please, could you, you know, give us some, some detail and some feedback about how mum is doing in terms of her well-being right. and her health? Mm-hmm. And what was the reply to that? Well, the upshot of that was, can Carol, you can correct me in the chronology of this, that we actually didn't get that detail until we had a Skype meeting on the 17th of July. Right. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. So we're talking about a month, Yeah. Mm-hmm. a whole month when we were just left in this ether of wanting to understand the exact details of mum's medication. And, we, you know, we, we obviously had an overview of it, but mm. at this stage we wanted to know what was going on with her. What exactly was happening? How was her weight? You know, what was her weight? How was she being monitored? All of these questions that, of course, we're going to be be asking because really primarily we could only see mum on Skype. 
many of that time we were looking at the ceiling incidentally because mum was left on her own sometimes with that tablet and it was difficult for her Mm. so yeah we're talking about a month we were we were just left and how long within that month because that's the really long time Mm. when you can't go in you can't be with your mother who's grieving as well you know there's a rapid decline through skype and as a family you're just contacting the service to say you know the care home to say we just want an update on our mother's health and you know waiting a month for that clarification must have been absolutely awful yes it it, it, it was it was quite sort of tormenting in in some ways and we 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 just wanted to know information information about how our grieving mum was doing the skype calls were something but they were really difficult for her really really hard you know and i'm not quite sure whether she looking at a screen was good enough for her we we know that many many people have been through very difficult times over this period don't, don't get me wrong Jackie, can I ask, your mum has dementia. She had Alzheimer's? She had a vascular dementia. Right. So did she recognise you? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. yes. And in fact, mum was right up until the end, until a a couple of days before she sadly passed. She knew everyone's voices. She knew my daughter's voice who said to her over Skype, hello, Nana, how are you doing? You know, uh-huh. And she, her eyes lifted and she, she was very aware, yes. certainly, of everybody that, around her. Yeah. It's often said that people, even with later stage dementia, you know, they have a flicker when they hear that, mm-hmm. or they see and yeah. touch. Because I think that's a very difficult thing for many families at the moment with the COVID situation and the care home visiting, is that families are saying that their loved ones are missing out on that vital touch, Mm. you know, with loved ones. It's so important. And that's why we're receiving messages from families saying that it's bringing a severe decline. No matter how wonderful carers are and what they do and what they say to support your loved one, it doesn't match, does it, a loved one's voice or a touch so I can see the distress that would have caused. Carol can I move on a little forward because obviously it was very clear and I know that Care Campaign for the Vulnerable fully supported you through this very very tough time. When you was making emails and trying to get the correspondence going to find out you know whether you could go in and see your mum once you knew that she was really declining Tell me what happened around those circumstances. So, yes, I think the trigger there for that really was having a conversation with one of the GPs at my mother's practice. And he very bluntly actually informed us that mum was basically getting to end of life. Mm. And I I had previously spoken to the care home with my sister and we'd understood at the time that we were only allowed one visit at an appropriate time, unquote. Mm-hmm. So that was what the care home were telling us. And I, I relayed that to the GP and he said, well, 
that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair that you only allowed one visit. Mm. So I said to him, when do you recommend we do this visit? And he said, well, you know, that's a very good question. Uh, and I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Mm. So we then reverted back to the care home and mm -hmm. uh, had that conversation. And we were told, yes, that you are only allowed one visit. So after a few conversations between myself and my sister, we decided we, we needed to see her as soon as possible. Right. So we went to see her on Sunday, the 2nd of August, with full PPE. And I think, to be honest, we knew that we were the only family in this position, in this particular care home. Mm. There was no COVID there, and my mother was the only end-of-life resident. So right. I guess we were rather naively now, but we were hoping that we would be allowed to go back again because clearly you can't predict when someone is going to pass away. So can I ask, Carol, when they said that you were only allowed one visit, was that a final visit? Was that you choose that time, not even knowing that your mother could have had some weeks left? Was it just a blanket, you have one visit? We, the end of life. Yes, that's what we were told, Jane. That's right. Just one day. So we had to just put a stake in the ground and decide when that one day should be. But I think, again, we were hoping that wouldn't be the last day, bearing in mind that they hadn't implemented this before, as far as we were aware. And we behaved ourselves, obviously stayed in the room and yeah. didn't, didn't wander around. Mm complied with PPE throughout and we stayed all day we had a lovely day with mum and it was just incredibly difficult at the point of leaving mum to even contemplate saying goodbye because she was fully cognizant you know aware and I didn't want to say final goodbye to her it was just impossible to do. I think listening to this and I, I'm sure that there have been many families that will resonate with you today. And I know through doing the work I do that so many providers have come out privately and publicly saying that they thought that this was quite a harsh treatment under the circumstances and that they would have looked at the risk assessment and they would mm. have looked at each individual mm. case. And Indeed. many actually did say that they would have allowed another visit. What would you say to that? I think that was entirely our view throughout this, that there was no pragmatism and certainly no science applied or any empathy applied to this situation at all. And certainly no individuality was applied to this situation in any way. We were just dealt with in a very objective way let's just mm. say, without any compassion and I think that I, I refer to the science because it was very clear to us that the staff were allowed to come and go as they please at lunch times and coming and going to and fro without any testing at all done on those carers as we know now and yet we were not allowed any access my sister had a COVID test done and we both had the COVID test done just prior to mum's passing. And there was absolutely no transparency. 
There was no willingness to enter into any dialogue with us about trying to find a practical solution or a way around it. We came up with numerous different different options and we were trying mm. to brainstorm what could be done. We were asked her to be brought downstairs so we could see her through a window and none of that was implemented. And furthermore, we had no practical solutions at all that came from the care provider at all. I listened to this and, you know, I'm sure there's going to be many providers or care professionals listening that will have complete heartfelt sympathy for people like yourself who have been placed in this position during COVID. And, you know, I find it very difficult to sit on the fence when I hear cases that come through to us like yours and your sisters. And, you know, it is a pandemic. Everyone is trying to keep vulnerable people safe. But surely, surely common sense and each individual case must be assessed for for those merits on the risk that it would bring in to each home. And it's very difficult because I do work with providers and professionals who do say our hearts break as well, but we're there to ensure that we keep COVID out. And I through my support behind you through Care Campaign for the Vulnerable, because I looked at your case and I looked at it really, really hard. And I looked at all the correspondence and we actually went to the provider, as did my colleague, to talk and to sort of, not pressure, but just to decide, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. maybe we could talk about the reasons you have a test and, you know, could you just go in for one more time? Yeah. They did not engage with us. No. And we found that very, very disappointing because there are human emotions here, aren't there? Jackie, can you tell me a little bit more, following on from Carol, just what happened then? Following on from that, we spent the rest of those days sitting on the bench outside the care home. Right. In the hope that, as you say, some kind of, you know, common sense may be applied and maybe this disproportionate view that they were taking would come to some kind of conclusion, if you like, where we could be allowed access to be with our mother. Sitting on that bench, being within, you know, a, a few yards of mother, knowing that she was on the top floor. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how difficult that was. I can um, imagine. So, I really can. And we were trying all the time to try and try and engage with them, as you say, uh, mm. trying to ask for clarity, um, trying to ask for some kind of rational way of thinking. Uh, and we just couldn't. It, it, it was just very cruel, and it was very, very difficult to have have to deal with. We reached out to social services and the CQC and, you know, asked them if there was any way they could help with this situation. Yeah, so we were just trying every single avenue we could. And then out of desperation, really, we were interviewed by the BBC Mm -hmm. um, about how we felt about this being, you know, deprived of being in the last few days with our mother. I mean, it was a big issue for for many families, though, Jackie. Many news outlets would have picked that up 
because we raised it for you. You know, we felt very passionately on how you were, how as a family, maybe it was something that they could have allowed happen just to offer that, as long as yeah. with the safety aspect was covered. Yeah, exactly. You'd even got a test. So, you know, we are acutely aware of the difficulties with COVID, you know, that this is an end of life issue. It's not an issue of meeting up in the gazebo or something like that. Yeah. This, this is end of life. And as Carol reiterated before, you know, for mm. example, the suggestions that we put forward could be, could you make a COVID bubble? Could you bring her downstairs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Those requests were not even responded to, which so was quite you didn't... hurtful. So to make it clear, when you raise that issue via email, yeah, and I saw all the correspondence and that's why we supported you because we were disappointed with that as well. So you wrote to the provider yeah. whilst, your, whilst you knew your mother was dying. Mm-hmm. You conjured up the strength to write in a very methodical, you know, not in an angry way, but you raised these issues and you said, look, is there a way here that we could see our mum and could we implement ways that we can just look at her? Yeah. And, and you never got a reply no. from that? No, no, Carol, can I ask you then, from that moment, because Care Campaign for the Vulnerable was guiding through with you and we were taking a deep interest in this and, and trying to get a rightful outcome for you, under huge, huge stressful circumstances. I know that Jackie said that you sat outside on a local bench near the care home. You also stayed near in rented, was it your mother's home, so that you wouldn't mix with family, so that you would be near your mother. Is that correct? Yes. Well, my parents owned a a small bungalow, literally two minutes drive away from the care home. So we used that bungalow as, as our, our base for the last few days of mum's life while we were we were there. And as Jackie said, we had repeated dialogue conversations with social services, with CQC. I spoke to my mum's GP who also contacted the, the care home to see mm. if there was any, any way that the rule could be lifted. And she was met with a no response. Mm. We also then asked for copies of the end-of-life plan, which is another debacle, frankly. So we were told that that, that would be prepared and the, the plan that we were given was clearly handwritten and cobbled together at very last minute with no reference to the family whatsoever. Well, I, I saw that, Carol. You sent that to Care Campaign for the Vulnerable. That was really inadequate that that wasn't best practice in our view no you know I have to say at this point Jane that without the support of care campaign for the vulnerable I don't think my sister and I possibly would have had the wherewithal and the and the the, the strength I suppose and the motivation mm. to keep calm and and keep try to keep reasonable and try to to suggest different solutions and approach different people so so I have to say thank you up front for all the support you've given us well that's kind but for us we do understand the the stress and the pressure that the sector is under but you know and Jackie knows that we are staunch supporters that elderly particularly vulnerable elderly in care homes 
should have care partner during COVID with full PPE, full risk assessment. And that's something that we always supported. So thank you for that. But we've received many messages from families, many, and care workers. But you've got a lot of support from the carers as well, didn't you, without Yes, we did indeed, Jane. And we've both always said that this is not about the individual carers. They they were quite staunch in their support, for want of a better word. They they were incredibly supportive and actually, you know, quite emotional. And I think there was a a clear desire to try and change things for us. But of course it's incredibly difficult for them, you know, they work in a, a, a very tough environment frankly in many ways and um, they're very much Mm. beholden to the management and and it was very obvious it was a a management decision at the highest level Mm. and a protocol that was developed at the very highest level really without any thought about anything outside of covid it was it was driven by covid completely and without any concern for end of life Mm. any kind of flexibility or individuality or exceptionality for patients yeah I mean I again when you hear the story because we have supported you but it's just absolutely heart-wrenching and I know through the work that we do that many families are given that privilege of being able to go in during COVID during I mean I think yours was one of the very few cases Mm. we supported actually Can I just now ask you, because I know that you've spoken in depth about the lead up to your mother's health and the decline. Can you talk me through the last day, the day when the inevitable happened and you couldn't be with your mum? So we started off visiting the care home first thing in the morning when we knew that the manager would be there and we asked for the end-of-life care plan. So the the objective was to get a copy of the care plan on the Thursday morning. And we were meted and greeted, so to speak, and taken to the gazebo outside. And the opening gambit was, well, your mother's breathing's changed. Mm. It's become a bit more rapid. And I said, has it become shallow? Well, it's just changed. So that's what we we Mm. were told. I was then handed the three or four page end of life care plan, which I scan read, passed it to my sister and we both read it. And I said to the manager, my first comment here is I can see no reference in any of this document to the family, to family involvement. And it stated in the document, it actually stated stark decisions for my mother in her best interest at this time and a lead must be taken from managers care team leaders and district nurses but no mention of the family at all so I commented on this to the manager and her comment back was well do you want this changed then so bear bear in mind this this is the day mum this is the day mum passed so right it was an awkward conversation to say the least and I said well it's my mother's care plan written by you as her care provider you you know you need to mm. this should have been done before right I, yes. I, I really don't see much in this document that says it's an end-of-life care plan not in my in my book so that conversation 
lasted about 15 minutes. She then left. Mm -hmm. We then went to a local drive-in COVID tester centre and had our COVID test done on the Thursday, during which time we were contacted by mum's district nurse. And she was desperately trying to to cobble together a package to get mum home. So to get her out of the care home so she could spend her last couple of days, as we thought then, in the bungalow with us. So she was incredibly helpful, very, very kind uh, and sympathetic. And she managed to to organise transport. She organised a package of care and she was organising all of mum's medication, etc. Mum took to be taken Mm -hmm. out that afternoon to come home. We had the bungalow assessed by the transport team who were lovely. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it it was all being sorted for mum to come home about three o'clock in the afternoon. And my sister and I were in in the bungalow and we received a phone call from Fairlawn at 2.30 to say, I'm just letting you know your mum's passed away. And how, and again, you know, we want to be very precise in this. What exactly did that person say to you on the phone? Uh, From my recollection, Jackie, correct me if I'm wrong, she said Mm. who she was. She said, I'm just ringing to say that sadly your mum's passed away. Yeah. Okay. What happened next? I mean, obviously you were, I can't even imagine how devastated and crushed you must have felt because you were so near to bringing her home. What did you say? Can you remember what the conversation I, was? I think I, it was a bit of a blur, to be honest, but I think I said, what happened? When was this? What Tell me, you know, what happened? And I was told that one of the carers went in to see her at about two o'clock, noted a, a very shallow breathing, hit the alarm bell, and then I was told that there were four people four people from the care home, a manager and three carers that were with my mother when she died. So there were four people in the room Correct, with your yeah. mother? Yeah. Okay. Obviously, this is your account, Jackie's and you, Carol. And I just, you know, I would like to say that this, this is a, a hugely tragic case that you've brought us. I can't imagine... And I I say this, and I've said it publicly, I understand the issues of the risk of COVID. I really do. But I cannot envisage myself not being allowed to sit with my mother, COVID or no COVID. Obviously, I'd, I'd have to, and I would want to adhere to the full PPE and protection to protect other people. But I can't imagine what that felt like. And I I think if anyone has a heart, I think that they would be able to either. Mm. So from that, and again, you know, I'm mindful that this is your and your sister's account, but how do you feel about that? What is the impact that is going to have on you and your family? Uh, What? The analogy I'm using at the moment is the experience we went through with our father. And I say this because my father had cancer, so he was 
fully supported by a Macmillan and the hospital that he passed away in. And likewise, as a family, they put their arms around the entire family is the way that I would describe that feeling, Jane. And so to be with my father in his last few days and to be with him when he actually passed away was a complete privilege. We felt fully supported before, during and after. And that's still being followed up by the hospice he passed away in. So the Mm. whole experience with my father was completely and utterly different. And yes, of course, we were devastated that he'd passed away. But the aftertaste, let's just say, that we have going through this awful situation with my mother is vastly different. And Mm. the impact personally on me, on my well-being, on my health, on my family, and on the relationship between my sister's family and my family as well, it's all Mm. been affected. Well, I've spoken to you privately about this, and we have put out that it's so important, and I think everyone would agree with this, that to be with someone that you love when they pass, and I know this, I've had experience personally with my own mother and father, being with them at that end actually is such an important part of the grieving process. Mm. Yeah, and also, Jane, can I add, again, it's it's context, really, it's context mm. of mum as a as an exceptional case, if you like. She was very, very, very close to her family as well, being an only child. And one of the things that she said when her mother passed away, which we thought would be very, very difficult for her, was that she was able to be with her at the end, and she took great comfort in that. I also wanted to add that we are a Roman Catholic family, which is something else that wasn't included on her end-of-life care plan. There was no... Yeah, there was no, nothing noted there. And given that she'd been there for two years and regularly was having communion from our parish, church, etc., and visits from the church, I could not believe that that wasn't included there. Can I just, sorry, what's important, and I, I just wanted to, because it's important to raise, your mother, you asked for the last rites. Yes, and I had to push for that. I called up and I said, we need a priest to go to see mum to anoint her. And Mm. the reply I got was, she doesn't want a priest. To which I I said, you know, that is totally inconceivable. And anybody that knew my mother well would know that was totally inconceivable. So I challenged it and I left it with them. I then had Mm -hmm. a call back later on that day to say, Oh, the board have decided that your mother can have a priest. So I then contacted the priest and I think he went up there, you know, just just as as soon as he could. He was allowed in wearing, you know, some kind of PPE while we sat outside on the bench and and prayed. Mm -hmm. We we should have been with mum. We also should have been given the opportunity to have been with my mother after she passed away to be able to pray with her. Mm-hmm. That's such an important, it's vitally important. And I, I understand that. I think this is something that maybe isn't thought about, about people's really staunch religion that with my own mother and father, all right, there wasn't COVID, but 
we first thing we did was last rites and the last thing we did was sit with her and prepare my mother and my my mm. father when he had died mm. and it was something again that it's a very catholic it is part of it and we did that i mean we prepared my mother in the hospital for for what was facing her so yeah i mean that that actually grabs you because it must have such a devastating effect and these things sometimes aren't actually thought they're not brought into account maybe well there's no reason why it shouldn't have been taken into account by them they knew full well that she was a roman catholic and a practicing roman catholic yeah so it just it just really is such a devastating outcome for for the family and 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 for your mother i want to you know listening to your story and i've followed it from day one but jackie what would you say to sum up to finish this chat and podcast, what would you say to any provider or anybody that would say, well, you know, COVID, you know, we have to follow very difficult decisions and take the stance that this particular provider took to safeguard what they said was people in that care home? What would you say as a final thing? to end the podcast, what would you say to a care provider? Yeah, well, I would say really think of, you know, the, this the particular provider has some values that they, they map out. And one of them is treating others as you'd like to be treated yourself. And I'd say look at exceptionality, look at individuals, you know, okay. exercise what should be at the heart of what you're doing as a provider, which is care. Mm-hmm. And I would not want any family, any family to go through this, frankly, inhumane treatment and cruelty that we've had to suffer. I think it was disproportionate. And, you know, I just would not want to see another family have to, in very similar circumstances to ours, and with a, you know, a grieving mother or father, for example. Mm-hmm. To have to go through this, it's totally disproportionate. And frankly, to use another term that was used in the context of schools, if you like, by the PM a while ago, I feel it's morally indefensible. Carol, what's your last words on what happened to your family? Well, apart from the, the devastation that's obviously we've shared with you and and everything that Jackie said completely echo it. And I would add to that and say that care providers, yes, of course, they need to address the, the whole infection control. Nobody would disagree with that. But also it's a balance of that and basic human rights. And morally defensible is probably the way to view it. And it's about balance and it's about treating people as individuals. Jackie and Carol, thank you very much. Jane, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you.